Thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Talent. I'm Nicole Fuqua. You're listening to our audio series where we dig into issues related to talent acquisition. Today, we're talking about the next generation workforce. For years, this conversation has been about millennials. But now, the oldest millennials are in their late 30s and the youngest, their mid-20s. Now, the most recent graduates are members of Generation Z. So how do employers attract and retain this new generation of workers? As they enter the workforce and start their careers, what sets them apart? And what are they looking for in an employer? Joining me to talk about this is Catherine Minchu, the CEO and founder of The Muse, a career platform used by more than 75 million people to research companies and careers. In 2018, The Muse was named one of Fast Company's 50 most innovative companies in the world. Catherine is also the author of The New Rules of Work, a Wall Street Journal national bestseller. She has spoken at MIT and Harvard, contributed to the Wall Street Journal and Harvard Business Review, and appeared on Today and CNN. She has also been named to Smart CEO's Future 50 Visionary CEOs and Inc.'s 35 Under 35. Catherine worked on HPV vaccine introduction in Rwanda and the Clinton Health Access Initiative before founding The Muse and was previously at McKinsey & Company. Additionally, Catherine is the host of a new podcast from The Muse called The New Rules of Work, where she interviews experts and leaders to explore the changing landscape of work. The New Rules of Work will be launching in November. Catherine, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So getting started, what would you say are some of the biggest similarities and differences that you see between current workers and those who are just starting to enter the workforce? Well, I think it's a really interesting time right now because you know you do have a workplace that's in flux. And while personally, I'm not a big believer in the idea that, um, you know, that, that the millennial or the Gen Z generation is sort of fundamentally different from the rest of us as humans, because I think there's far more commonalities and differences. There are a few trends that I'm seeing in the music community, in the employers we work with. Um, first of all, there's a, a very strong interest in uh, flexibility, work-life balance, and in, in the opportunity to balance and sort of fit together different pieces of work and life. Um, you know, I think there's been a lot of ink spilled about this topic, but at its high level, many younger workers are used to being able to work from a variety of locations. They grew up being able to do work from the library, home, the classroom, on campus, off campus, you know, connected through their laptops and their phones and their devices. And I think they're, they're pushing a lot of employers to recognize their work based on the output and the impact and not the number of hours sitting at a desk in a specific office. So I actually think that change benefits all of us, but there is definitely an interest in and an increase in flexibility. Um, secondly, and, and somewhat relatedly, a lot of younger workers are willing to relocate for the right job. So you know, we surveyed the Muse community, which is two thirds under age 35, 55% uh, of our users are women, 50% are non-white. So it's a very diverse, very millennial and Gen Z group. And we asked them, um, you know, would you relocate and consider moving to the right company and role? And 89% of them said yes, which, which staggers some people because it is a, you know, it's a, it's a overwhelmingly high percentage. At the same time, when you look at people who are earlier in their career, it's not as unusual that they're more mobile and that they're more willing to move geographically for the right job. Um, to me, this means that employers are you're both able to hire from a much wider talent pool, but you're also competing 
with so many other companies for the same talent. And I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing the rise of employer branding, recruitment marketing, um, because there are, there are you know, not only the people in your geographic vicinity who may be your future employees, but a much broader set of potential candidates that you need to reach and engage and build relationships with. So in the last 15 or so years, we saw millennials enter the workforce. And in those years, I think we've seen the way that people talk about millennials transform as they began to take up a larger percentage of the workforce and advance in their careers. So as we look at Gen Z, how do you anticipate the way we talk about Gen Z will evolve as they enter the workforce? And how can employers anticipate changes that they might see because of this new group of workers? Well, first of all, I think that there's one pattern that I'm very confident that will play out, which is that we'll see a whole bunch of people predicting the end of the workplace as we know it uh, due to these crazy Gen Z, <laughs> Gen Z employees. And then over time, some of the hysteria will quiet down um, as people realize that, uh, again, as, as humans, we're all fundamentally a little bit more similar than we are different. But I do think it's funny. And granted, I am a millennial. I'm uh, on the the sort of elder end of the millennial spectrum, um, born in 1985, it's kosher to share that. But so I, you know, I have some empathy for um, both for employers who have had to adapt their workplace uh, to each new generation, but also I think you know there was a, there was a lot of let's just say pulling out of hair and gnashing of teeth a few years ago about millennials, and now many of those same millennials are managers, and some of them are becoming executives. And again, you know, the workplace has changed in a variety of key ways. Um, companies are forced to compete for talent. There's a higher emphasis on uh, you know, connecting the overall purpose and mission of a company with the, the individual roles of, of workers. There's this, I think, fascinating rise in employer branding and creating better candidate experiences in order to compete. Some of that is because of the economy and some of that is because the demands of millennials. But at the same time, I think that you know, the, there are core fundamental tenets of the workplace that are evolving more slowly. And so when I look at the changes that I believe we'll see when we talk about Gen Z, um, you know, of course, there's the, the classic ones, which is, uh, you know, Gen Z is very mobile first, again, very, very familiar with technology and they expect technology to work for them. So I think we'll see less and less tolerance for, you know, legacy technology products and more of a push from the employees of companies for the adoption of consumer grade products. I mean, one example of this trend is how fast Slack as a workplace communication tool has spread and that was often driven by the company's employee bases. Um, but you know, I also think that, um, that Gen Z in general, and, and this is I think because they've grown up with the technology that all of us have come to take for granted on our phones, the Gen Z expects many of their experiences to be more personalized or tailored to them. And it makes sense, right? You log on to Netflix and it knows what movies you might like based on your browsing history. Um, you open Spotify on your phone and it can recommend which artists or what music you might be interested in based on previous preferences. And I think that um, in the work, the context of the workplace, Gen Z is starting to look for workplace tools that are, you know, that are built on top of the data that employers already have about them and that are personalized. So one small example of how I think this impacts recruiting is um, I believe that we're moving towards a world in which uh, recruitment marketing and employer branding is highly 
uh, personalized to the function that someone is applying to, the location that they're in. So it's no longer enough to say, you know, we are a great company and here's our culture and values. That's important, of course. But I think the world that we're moving into is one in which we know for certain candidates, either on the news.com, on a company's career site, when someone applies to a job, we know that they are applying to a data scientist role or a facilities role, a role in Austin or Houston versus you know, Toronto or Boston. And the, the recruitment marketing and the information they're getting is tailored to that because I think that's the sort of experiences that many people entering the workforce today expect in their day-to-day life. And again, I mean, personally, I'm a big believer in this trend. I think we've, we've evolved through a number of phases of employer branding from, you know, what, what I call phase zero, where companies just posted jobs online without any marketing or information whatsoever and assumed that that was enough. Then phase one was, you know, stock photos and companies trying to pretend they were perfect using the sort of jargon of, you know, we are uh, a team of innovators committed to excellence. Like, great, that means nothing to anybody. It's just so generic. And now I think we're in what, what I call phase two, which is companies are realizing the need to be more authentic. Again, I think this was driven by a lot of millennials who are used to consuming, um, you know, they, they're used to having brands interact with them online through social media. They're used to having a variety of channels and forums for talking to companies, talking to each other, et cetera. And so they, they force brands and organizations and employers to speak more like humans and to be more authentic but it's still been at a kind of company or a brand level. And again, I think with Gen Z, we're going to see an increasing trend towards personalization. And so platforms and tools that can provide a more personalized experience are going to win. And it's something that I'm very focused on at the news, thinking about you know, how do we look at all the data we collect? And if someone is reading content about being a working parent or applying to jobs in marketing, um, how do we make sure that we are making it as easy as possible for them to find more of what they're looking for and that we're potentially allowing them to opt in to a more tailored and personalized experience, which can actually also be great for employers because it means that um, instead of you know, advertising uh, your, your data science roles to the entire universe, you can try and find people who've expressed interest in data science careers. So that leads directly into my next group of questions. You talked about how employer branding is adapting to appeal to this new group of workers. So what would you say are the most effective channels for reaching next-gen talent? Are there a few standouts or is it more of a mix? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, unemployment is at a 50-year low and competition is fierce especially for the most in-demand workers, such as technology, sales, et cetera. So I think that what you say is just as important as where you say it, because even on the channels there, you know, that contain the majority of the people you're trying to reach, the, the competition is so fierce. And so you know, it is interesting. Like We did um, two recent user surveys, one in December uh, of last year, one in October of this year, so just I mean, literally, I think two weeks ago, and we're consistently seeing that about 60% of respondents are at least casually job searching, um, which I think tells you something about the about the labor market. So, in terms of the most effective channels, um, you know, obviously, I am a big believer in candidate research, and you know, I think that um, the, the channels that candidates are going to to research your company, first of all, they're often starting on Google. So I would say if you work in talent acquisition, understand what comes up on Google when you search for your company's name 
and the word jobs or the word careers. Um, something that the Muse is really investing in right now is SEO, so that when we have a company on the Muse and someone searches for that company, we're coming up first or we're coming up very, very high. Um, I think that you know platforms that gather employee testimonials, employee reviews are doing very well. Um, we've been really investing in a lot of video content and photo content because many, uh, many job seekers today are particularly engaging with, uh, with multimedia and with visual content. So again, I would highly recommend that companies looking to reach next-gen talent think about how they use photo and video to up-level their messaging. Um, and then, you know, finally, I, I am a big believer in general in relationships over transactions. So I think that there are platforms out there today that deliver volume, but give you very few opportunities to really build a relationship with talent and explain to them your company, your values, your uh, opportunity. Why would you pick a job here over all of the other companies that are hiring for the same role? And so, you know, my money is on the platforms, and of course, I, I count the news among this, but I think LinkedIn's also doing some really interesting things here and, and several other companies. Um, platforms that are allowing different channels for candidates and job seekers to research companies and for employers to build relationships. And again, I, I think that um, this is also so interesting because, you know, employer brand is, is ultimately just brand, right? It's not like you get to have two separate things that don't interact with each other. I think that one of the things that is so powerful these days about employer brand is that so many of your best customers or users of your product will apply to your jobs at some point in time. Um, people who apply to your jobs and have a good experience can become bigger evangelists and fans of your product, whether or not they're hired. And people who have a negative experience applying to your job Often, um, you know, they will, um, many surveys have indicated that they will cease using your products. And in some cases, they'll actually tell friends and family not to buy from your company or not to use your products because their experience was so bad. And so I think that, again, it's, it's um, for employers today, it's both about thinking about how to reach next-gen talent, but there's also a really interesting and important element of making sure that those people have a good experience when they're interacting with your company. And this is why I think that um, candidate experience and recruitment marketing products have uh, both a lot of potential in the next couple of years, but also, frankly, a lot of room um, for improvement because, you know, talent in HR, um, I think, is a little bit lagging behind um, some of the other, you know, some other industries when it comes to the experiences we're able to provide you know, candidates, applicants, people who are interacting with our brand in a talent capacity. You touched on something there I want to dig into just a little bit more, and that's the relationship between a consumer brand and an employer brand. So what is that relationship in your opinion, and what considerations should employers have regarding those two brands and the next-gen workforce? Yeah, um, so like I said, I, I do think that um, – employer brand has the potential to be powerful, but only if you recognize that it's a piece of your larger brand and the lines between your applicants, candidates, employees, customers, you know, users, et cetera, um, are blurring in, in the modern world. And part of that is because access of information, right? Um, I think some of the best companies' social channels share both information about their product and, you know, what would traditionally be considered uh, consumer marketing or, or 
sort of social marketing and tell stories of their employees. I think that can be really powerful. Many consumers love to hear about the people that make up their favorite brands. So when you think about the similarities and differences between a consumer brand and an employer brand, um, you know, frankly, I think that um, there's more similarities and differences, in my opinion. One of the biggest similarities is that um, you're only partially in control. And, you know, I think that in a pre-digital, pre-social world, one could establish core brand priorities, be it, again, consumer brand or employer brand. You could get people in a conference room and say, this is our brand, and this is how we will be in the world, and you had more control. Today, of course, you have some control. You can decide what matters to your brand. You can decide how you want to talk, but your employees, your customers, they have a voice in your brand too. And so I think authenticity is core when it comes to, frankly, any kind of brand, but I would say especially an employer brand. Because think about this analogy, right? If I'm selling a sweater, and I tell you that this is the softest sweater in the world, and you buy my sweater, and it turns out it's not actually that soft, you may go to the trouble of returning it. You might, if you're really angry at me, leave a negative review online. But the most likely outcome is you're just gonna keep the sweater and be vaguely disappointed. And that's definitely not good for my brand, but think about how much more toxic it is if I tell you that my workplace is you know, like XYZ, that we really support flexibility or we do XYZ, and you come into my company and you find that's not at all the case. Now you have, you know, best case, an employee who leaves quickly, which is a tremendous cost to an employer who's just spent a lot of money to recruit, onboard, and train someone, and they leave. Worst case, you have someone who stays within your organization for a period of time and is unhappy and is disgruntled. So I think that the more, of course, I'm not saying that an employer brand has to be, you know, 100% spot on perfect because companies are, are very complex beings. But to the extent that you can use um, just genuine information, quotes, data, content feedback from your employees in your employer brand, um, I think building it on authenticity is so key because you're going to have a long-term employment relationship with the people who you hire, they will remember the promises you made. And if you haven't, you know, if, if, you're, if those promises are too far away from the reality, um, companies get punished and it can be very painful. And so I think that, um, you know, not every person is looking for the same thing in an employer. I'm a very big believer in, you know, different strokes for different folks, different types of personalities thrive in very different types of workplaces. So, you know, sometimes it's okay if your company is, you know, like X instead of like Y. Um, I think just owning how you work and going out and finding people who can be happy with that or can accept it is much more powerful than trying to pretend you're something that you're not and ending up disappointed. Um, and I, I wish, you know, one of the things I'm working on right now in the news it's getting more data about the connection between, you know, like source of hire, uh, the information that a candidate has pre-hire, and how that connects to six-month retention. Because we've seen some early signs that when someone comes in through the muse, when they know what they're getting into, they have much more information about the company and the employee experience, that they are substantially more likely to be retained. Six months plus, ideally, of course, you want to retain someone for years, but we're looking at six-month retention for this because um, if you can't keep someone for six months, there was probably a really 
you know, there, there, there's probably a mismatch up front. And I think I'm very excited by the early signs that retention is substantially higher um, for, for candidates who, I mean, ideally, we love when they come to the muse, but the biggest factor seems to be, do they really have a sense of the company? Are they coming in through a transactional, you know, just click, 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 apply? Or are they coming in with more of a sense of what they're getting into? And I think that's really powerful. And ultimately, I think employer brands, what I believe is going to be the, the holy grail moment for employer branding is we, when we can start to say that giving candidates more information, more accurate information, and a better experience up front leads to tangible business results in better hires, longer retained hires. I and mean, I think that is where it gets really exciting for me. So that's really the other side of the coin that we haven't hit on yet, and that's retention. So you mentioned the importance of authenticity in your employer brand and what you're sharing with candidates, but in what ways are employers shifting their retention strategies to meet the needs of these newer workers? Yeah, well, I think that there's a few key elements um, that I'm seeing bubble to the top. You know, the first one I talked about a minute ago, but it, it really is. I'm just going to say it again because I believe in it so strongly that um, retention is directly linked to how much information and how accurate uh, information people have before they come in the door. And we have seen a few companies that work with the Muse see really powerful changes in particularly certain types of roles and um, being able to increase retention when they're more upfront and more transparent about um, what someone's going to get. So I think that is, you know, first and foremost, like the baseline of any retention strategy has to start with the messaging before people come in the door. Um, then, secondly, I think that a lot of employers are leaning heavily into data to understand what's affecting retention at their company, because I don't think this is a one-size-fits-all problem, right? Luckily, there are a lot of tools that can help you as a talent professional, as, a, as an executive or a leader overall, um, really drill into what drives engagement or disengagement at your company. And so, you know, there are um, obviously culture surveys. We use one called Culture Amp at the Muse. There are exit surveys. There are a variety of different ways of gathering employee sentiment data. And, you know, I think there are businesses where people leave for more flexibility. There are businesses where people leave uh, because they feel like they're paid under market or management isn't listening. Usually, most companies, even, you know, from great ones to very challenging ones, at most companies, there are a couple of things that rise to the top when you look at why employees are leaving. And I think we have more data to understand that than we've ever had before, which I think is a, is a real opportunity. Um, I would also just add one other thing that um, many people early in their career, you know, they are often looking for a lot of clarity and guidance around what the future holds. And so companies that are very successful in retaining millennial and Gen Z employees often lay out very explicit career paths where you can see after you achieve these things, hit these milestones, et cetera, you then get promoted to the next level. And this is what the next several steps look like. That can be a very helpful structure um, for, you know, for, for giving millennial and Gen Z employees a chance to understand what the next few months, years, um, and more might be like if they invest in a state or company. So with the Muse, how do you help organizations become employers of choice? And how do you work with them on employer branding and retention? Absolutely. So when I started the Muse, I had this just 
deep belief that both job seekers and employers would be better off if they found matches based on fit. And again, this is not based on some, you know, external idea of these three things make the best companies, because I think people look for different things in their career. In fact, the same person might look for different things at different pieces in their career. So I wanted the Muse to really be able to help create fit, to help individuals research companies and careers, and help employers hire great people on the strength of their employee experience as an employer brand. So how we work with employers to start with is we actually help them better listen to their employees. We have a tool called Brand Builder. Um, anybody who works with the Muse knows it's like one of my favorite parts of the product. Um, but the idea behind Brand Builder is that we can gather employee stories, employee content, employee data to really understand what is it that your employees today are excited about when it comes to working at your organization? Because I think rather, again, rather than getting a couple people in a conference room and saying, this is what we need to do to become an employer of choice, which may or may not reflect the reality, I love starting with, what do your people today say are the reasons that they enjoy coming into work? What are the reasons today that people stay and that they're proud to work for you? And at some companies, that's an incredible training and development program. At other companies, it has to do with how the company supports them, having work-life balance or life outside of work. For some companies, it's highly, highly mission-driven. And some companies are a combination. There's other factors as well, but I think it's about really understanding um, from the bottom up what is the most powerful asset that the company has. And sometimes as part of this process, you also get a sense for what are some of the, the areas where um, you know, if you're looking for a really um, fast-paced environment, we might not be the place. Or conversely, if you like stability and you would prefer that things not change all the time, we might not be the right place. So understanding both your couple of key strengths and any um, potential flags or limiting factors that you should be transparent and upfront about is something that the news does with employers through gathering this employee-generated content. Then we help them tell their story. So we have both the news.com, which is our core platform. Um, we have about 6 million people every single month who come to the news to research companies and careers. So we help employers take all that information about um, what they really have to offer. We help them create employee testimonials. We help them put together a really rich profile with you know, photos, videos, text, et cetera that explains more about their company, um, their perks and benefits, their mission. You know, again, different companies choose to highlight different things. Um, and then we help give them access to our audience. And we also let them use a lot of those assets and our, our tools and technology elsewhere. So we power the career sites for um, probably about 20 to 25% of our customers, either their full career site or a part of the career site. We're also able to give them analytics on how people are using both their news profile and their career site. And we're investing really heavily through the end of this year and into next year in a few key things. Um, firstly, more ways for employers to get in front of users in other places on the news besides content. So if you're Googling, um, you know, how to find entry-level engineering jobs or um, something about, you know, uh, sales careers or diversity in STEM or transitioning from um, a military to a civilian career, if you're Googling any of those things and the news comes up first, how do we give that individual great content? And how do we also help direct them towards companies that might be looking to hire them or might be an interesting fit? Um, and I think there's 
I mean, I could talk for an hour about um, some of what I, I hope we're doing in the future and, and what we're planning on doing because I do think that the, the talent space is changing so fast. Candidates are raising their demands on all of us, which I think long-term is good for the industry, but short-term is hard and painful because we're in a hiring crunch and candidates are saying, you know, I need more information. I want it to be personalized. I'd like consumer-grade experiences across the full HR stack. And so what we're, you know, at core, I think we're helping employers listen to their employees, tell better stories that are ultimately going to, to result in more qualified candidates. And like I said, I'm a believer that when you do this right, you not only get, you know, great people who are coming into your company who are bought in, but I think you can see it um, in, in the bottom line in terms of retention and employee productivity. And um, I'm really excited to see a lot of our customers, especially some of the most, you know, data savvy customers, they are starting to look at the quality of applicants, the quality of candidates, um, and even tie it to retention and performance, which to me is, um, I think, a really exciting thing for the industry. Great. And I have just one last question before we run out of time today. And that is with everything we've just talked about, if you had to boil everything down to one piece of advice for organizations that are trying to work on their employer brand or retention strategies with the next gen workforce, what would that one piece of advice be? If I had to pick just one, I would say focus on storytelling. You know, humans love stories. We connect with them. And to give you an example, which is going to be more compelling to, you know, an engineering candidate from a diverse background who's considering your company? You know, option A, A, how you're committed to diversity and inclusion, which, of course, is, is important. Or option B, you know, a story from someone on your team today who also comes from a less traditional or diverse background and who's speaking out about a project that they worked on, you know, a, a feature that they built, and just telling a very human story about their path and their passions and the purpose that they find at your organization. I think humans love stories, and if there were one piece of advice I could leave people with, it'd be to think about employee storytelling, whether that's on your career site, internally, through the views, through somewhere else, wherever it is, the more that you can communicate the, the, the uniqueness of your opportunities and your organization, through the real human stories of people who work there, the more successful I believe you're going to be. Well, I think that's a perfect end for our story today. So Catherine, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. And thank you for listening. If you have any questions we didn't cover today, you can send them our way. You can email us at marketing at peoplescout.com, or you can find us on social media. Just search People Scout on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To make sure you don't miss an episode, visit our website and subscribe to our feed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review. Talking Talent is a People Scout production, music by sound design through Shutterstock.